Good morning. It is good to be back with you this morning. You know what? Uh, Rusty's helping with uh, the, the uh, children's check-in, so while he's not in the room, did he do all right last week? You can be honest, he's not here. Yeah, I heard actually a lot of, po- his wife is here, so word will get back to him, I know. I heard a lot of positive. In fact, uh, they, they, always the concern and one of the daunting things that you hear when the preacher's gone is, man, the guy who did your job, he did great. I'm like, awesome. <laughs> I trust. I, 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 I wouldn't want it any other way because I believe what happens up here should be great, should be quality, because this is the word of the Lord we're talking about. This is great stuff. Um, and I'm excited to be back with you. Yes, we had a great week at Camp Canaan. Um, I'm still in recovery mode. That's part of the reason I did not have sermon notes on version. I apologize with that, um, but I figure grace can be handled in, in, in that regard. But uh, if that just totally upset you, then we can have a conversation about that later. In fact, you can come forward at the invitation And I would be glad to talk to you. (laughs) So in the uh, 1940s, there was a a war that you might be familiar with, uh, World War II. And it was devastating in so many regards. Uh, The economy, um, people, lives taken. In fact, it's considered uh, the worst, most bloody, like the worst world war, the worst war in the world of all time. 60 million people died during World War II. And that was only during. In fact, the effects of this war still linger to this day. Let me illustrate it this way. Um, if During the war, if a, a, they were trying to hold a line from an advancing army, a lot of times they would put up the thing called landmines. You know about these? You, it's little bombs you put underground, uh, or at least have tripwires or something like that, and whenever the army would come, they would trip it, and, and then that would give you, you know, it would do its thing, and it wouldn't be pleasant. It wouldn't be good. But in war, that's what they would do. You know what happened to these landmines after the war was over? Nothing. They're still around. Many of them are still around. In fact, it is estimated, just to give you a picture of how many might still be around, in Egypt alone, okay, Egypt isn't the only place, but in Egypt alone from World War II and then other conflicts, it is estimated that there are 23 million landmines still in the ground. Just to give you a picture of what that means, if you take all of Egypt's landmass and spread those equally across it, that would mean that there was, let me make sure of this because I want to make sure of my math, that there would be 60 mines every square mile. That's a lot of mines. Now, most of these are around the border region because they're doing their purpose, doing their thing, but just imagine the effects that that has on the economy the effects that that has on the local farmer that's trying to farm his land and then finds one of these mines unintentionally, accidentally, the effects of landmines are catastrophic. And a lot of our world is still littered with landmines. You have to stay to the path for a reason. Now, in our world, here in the United States of America, we may not have to deal with landmines. You can walk through a field and that not be your concern. Your concern is going to be more about the mosquitoes and chiggers and things like that. You're not going to be worried about stepping on a landmine here, necessarily. But make no mistake, we have our own landmines that we have to deal with. 
There are some roads that we walk on that are going to be triggered with explosives. Usually it's in the term, in the understanding of political correctness. Don't believe me? Say one wrong word or say it the wrong way on Facebook and the whole world explodes. You don't even have to do it on Facebook. But I tell you, we, we criticize, we scrutinize every word that someone might say, and these are landmines. So much so that people won't even deal with certain subjects that probably need to be dealt with. This morning, we are diving in as carefully as possible to a landmine in Scripture. Because no one in their right mind in political correctness would talk about women the way that Scripture talks about women. And so I, we're going to be diving in to a very difficult section of Scripture of 1 Timothy. And I, I have to admit, in all reality, I was considering skipping over because it would be much nicer to just skip over this section of Scripture, but that's a horrible practice, and I didn't want to uh, be up here and commend you. Oh, yeah, go read that. We're going to skip over it. We're going to deal with it. But as we deal with it, make no mistake, this is a landmine. And so I'm going to ask you, as we strive to diffuse this and to walk carefully in the understanding of this, don't jump to conclusions. You get blown up, things like that. Don't let your emotions overtake you because those aren't good either. Your preconceived notions, you got to set those aside as well so that we can read the text the way the text maybe was meant to be read, which means we need to ask for God's spirit to guide us in our understanding. Because without it, without him guiding us, we're left to our own conclusions, which can often end up in a mess. Last thing I want to say with that before we dive into the text is one sermon is not near enough to handle all the concerns and all the questions someone, someone might have about this text. I have spent tons of time studying this, trying to whittle down what needs to be said in order for us to have an understanding about what's going on here. If you have more questions, I am more than happy because I have so much that I didn't put into this sermon um, that I would love to share. If you have questions or whatever, talk to me this week. I would, I would love that. So 1 Timothy, let's dive into this wonderful passage. 1 Timothy 2, starting verse 11, says this, women should learn quietly and submissively. I do not let women teach or have authority over men. Let them listen quietly. For God made Adam first and afterward he made Eve, and it was not Adam who was deceived by Satan. The woman was deceived and sin was the result. But women will be saved through childbearing, assuming they continue to live in faith, love, holiness, and modesty. All right. Now, as you can imagine, there are some people that read passages like this, and they are turned off from the church. They walk away because they, this just confirms their notion, their idea, that the church, the Bible, Scripture, is some male egotistical chauvinistic push that wants to keep women in their place, which is basically barefoot pregnant in the kitchen. And if you read this passage at first blush, it's almost what it sounds like, right? Women, you can't teach. Not only are you not equal with men, you are completely under men. 
You know, women, you need to be quiet. They should be seen, not heard. Have you ever heard that? Or the last one, the only thing that women might be good for, according to that last verse, is their childbearing. I can see why people read this and say, you know what, I'm, I'm not in. Because this, this is so old. This is how it used to be. Our world is different now. Well, it may be different now, but God's word is eternal. And I think there's something to be said about this passage. Now, as we get started, I want to remind you that this passage does not stand alone. A lot of times we do a disservice to Scripture. where We take a certain passage out and we dissect it and we forget all the context around it. And so I want to provide just a little bit of context around this passage to help us understand to, so that we can properly, Lord willing, walk through this and with an understanding. So first thing that I want you to understand is that it comes in a context within the book of 1 Timothy. Well, that makes sense, right? We've been studying the book of 1 Timothy. We've been in the series. We've had sermons before. We're going to have sermons after this. But the context in specific is about holiness and prayer is just before this, and spiritual leadership is just after this. I don't believe Paul or the Holy Spirit inspiring Paul would take just this random phrase, random subject, passage, and throw it in that didn't fit in somehow with holiness and prayer and spiritual leadership. This passage is going to be understood both directions in the thought. But it's not just in the book of 1 Timothy that we need to see the context. This passage also comes into a context of the world. There's a specific location, there's a specific time period, Ephesus during the early church, you know, this is not our time period that this is being said. Now, to explain that a little bit of the time period, I, I want to start with this. The worship services in that culture were very different than ours. The Jewish synagogue Whenever they would come together for worship in the Jewish synagogue, there was a male section divided and then a female section. The men and women did not worship God together. They worshiped separately. Now, that was Jewish culture. How about pagan culture? Pagan culture in all of pagan worship, excluding one aspect, men and women did not gather together in any assemblies. Any of the Gentiles would not gather together in public assemblies, minus one exception, and that was for, um, well, that was for the intercourse of worship that way. And that was it. So their ideas of worship to God was very much a separate mentality. Here's the guys, here's the girls. And then the church comes along. And in the church... There was something that was completely different, countercultural, that Christ said everyone is welcome to come and join and worship him. Everyone is called to come together. Paul would even talk about this, that there's neither Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, male nor female. Everyone, no matter who you are, has the spirit of God in them and is welcome to come and worship together. Now, if, if you could imagine just the, the, the craziness of how that must have sounded in their culture, but also the breath of fresh air that must have been to say, hey, we can do this together. But make no mistake, 
Whenever people come together, we bring our own baggage, don't we? So in more specific culture, we have Ephesus, where Paul is writing to Timothy. Timothy is striving to minister there. And in Ephesus, there is a, well, there is the main religious cult. And it's to Artemis of the Ephesians. Now, you might remember that story whenever Paul is going through Ephesus and almost gets run out of town because the word of God is coming on their hearts so much that people fear that Artemis and the worship to Artemis is being downplayed. And so they all gather in the amphitheater and and scream, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Artemis is a female fertility god. You just imagine what worship to her was like. I'll let your imagination do the trick because you're probably right. They would come, and the the priests in the Artemis temple were exclusively women. History shows us that their job, they actually prided themselves on putting men in their place, lording it over the men because that was the one place in their culture that they could. You're coming to us for your physical pleasure. You do what we say. We're in charge here. And so whenever the church comes to town, whenever... When Paul brings the gospel and Timothy is ministering to this church, it's a wonderful thing that everyone is welcome. But as you can imagine, there's some thinking that needs to be undone. Some way that things have been that need to be changed. And I think that's part of the reason why Paul says, I don't let a woman teach or have authority over a man, but I'm getting ahead of myself. Let's back up to this first verse. It says, women should learn quietly and submissively. Some of your translations may, you may say silence, in silence, or in the next verse it'll say they must remain silent. Um, although some translations use that verse, it's actually a very poor translation. This is the same root word that in verse 2 is translated peaceful. This word does not demand utter silence. It, it doesn't demand complete silence among women in the, in the assembly. We can see that as well in 1 Corinthians uh, whenever this word is also dealt with there. But it's talking about a kind of attitude, a peaceful attitude, a quiet attitude. And it's also said, and maybe this is fair to say because Scripture says it, a submissive attitude. Now, submissive to who? That would be one of the questions, wouldn't it? Well, one possibility would be submissive to the men, which is about to be mentioned in the next verse. But I want to remind you, that's about to be mentioned in the next verse. I think the better understanding of submission here is to God, which makes sense, doesn't it? Everyone, whenever we come to worship, should be in submission to God. No one should try to be taking God's place, whether male or female, and so that works. Whether it's submission to men as well, we will get to in the next verse. But I want you to know the point is not women being quiet and submissive. These are qualifying terms. Quietly and submissively, what, a, what is the qualifying term of? They should learn. I want you to know how groundbreaking this is. In our culture, in our world, this is not anything new, praise God. But in their culture, for women to learn was a new thing. They could learn up to a certain age, but at that age, they'd quit learning and would come, go like learning, established learning, and they would be able to go and do what a woman does. And it was very much in this box mentality. And and Paul is saying here, a woman should learn. 
They should be able to learn, quietly and submissively, but they should be able to learn. In fact, Jesus would back up this understanding in a story in Luke 10, 38 through 42. He comes into the house of Mary and Martha. You remember this story? Uh, Martha is being the good hostess. She's uh, preparing all the things. Maybe she's in the kitchen preparing the meal or setting the table, getting things ready because Jesus is there and she's a good hostess. Remember where Mary is? Mary is shirking all those duties. She is sitting at the feet of Jesus listening to him. Now Martha steps in, you know, maybe peeks her head uh, through the door and says, Jesus, would you tell my sister, get in here and help me? Would you fix this? Now, it could be that Martha was just overwhelmed with everything that needed to happen, but one of the things you may not fully understand as well about that culture, Mary was breaking a huge social taboo. You see, women were not allowed to sit and listen at the feet of a rabbi. It was not their place. They were not to do that. Mary is breaking a huge social taboo by sitting and listening to Jesus. And beyond that, in a house, whenever men and women gathered together, it was a lot like their places of worship. The men had a room, and the women had a room. And you didn't cross your rooms. Mary is in there with the guys, and then Jesus commends her for it. The point is, Mary has chosen something. She has chosen to learn, and that is a good thing. You are called to learn. Everybody should learn. Now, for what purpose? Why do we learn? Is it so that we can simply know? Do we learn just a whole bunch of random facts and knowledge so that we can know? Or is there an expectation, especially in Christian knowledge, to learn so that we can do? And then also we learn so that we can share. It's called evangelism. We learn so that we can share the good news. And last time I checked, no one is excluded from evangelism. Male, female, young, old, how much you know or how little you know, if you know about Christ, you are called to share the good news. And so Paul here is telling Timothy, hey, the women, they should learn. They should learn quietly and submissively, but they should learn. And then he goes on to say, I do not let a woman teach or have authority over a man. Now, when Paul says this, I think we need to understand it in light of the rest of Scripture. I don't think Paul is saying that a woman should never, ever, ever teach. Because later on, Paul will tell Timothy, he will commend the teaching that, he, that Timothy got. Remember from who? His mom and his grandmother. So apparently... The women teaching there, that was, that was okay. Or we can see the ex- example of Priscilla and Aquila. Priscilla being, uh, this is a, a husband-wife team, but Priscilla's name is usually mentioned first. There's a whole lot of speculation as, wh- as to why. But in Acts 18, they pull Apollos aside and they teach this teacher more accurately in the ways of the Lord. Or we can also see, um, you may be not familiar with this uh, story in 2 Kings 22, but there's a prophetess at the temple called Huldah, and Huldah is sought after by King Josiah before his reform. You remember whenever King Josiah hears the word of the Lord, he, they find the book of the law, and he reads it, and he goes and inquires from this prophetess, Huldah, hey, what does all this mean? Explain it to me teach me and she does so we see 
women teaching in, in different forms for sure. As well, we see that uh, Paul in Acts 2 uh, says that men and women, sons and daughters, will prophesy. Part of prophecy is teaching. This is why Philip even had four daughters who were prophets in Acts 21. But the other thing that I think all of us can understand even more clearly is every one of us is commanded to sing. That's a command that's universal. We're commanded to sing. Colossians 3.16 points that one of the jobs of singing is to teach. Well, that makes a lot of sense because how many of you still remember the little songs that your mom, your grandmother sang to you while you were a little kid? Maybe even songs that you learned in the church long ago that still have an impact on what you know about Christ. In fact, some of our, our best songs are written by women. Fanny J. Crosby like covered a whole chunk of our songbook, uh, a wonderful woman putting together wonderful songs. All this to say, if Paul were saying that a woman can never, ever, ever teach, he probably would have qualified it a little bit better because the rest of Scripture shows places where they can. So I think what he's pointing at to is in this last phrase, over a man, over men. You see, that phrase is qualifying both the teaching and having authority. This is an understanding of who has authority. It is always against God's word and God's will to take authority that's not yours. It's called usurping. But here's the thing. All authority is a gift. It is a gift. In fact, Jesus would say to Pilate, you would have no authority had it not been for my Father giving you the authority. Jesus understood this. We should understood all authority to kings, to others. It's a gift. And when you try to take authority, that's a problem no matter who you are. But that's a reason then Paul goes on to this next passage. He talks about the order of creation talks about Adam and Eve and by simple order he says Adam was made first now this doesn't mean that Adam is supposed to be domineering boss it means that in or that he was the first to stake his claim and put his flag and saying I'm here everyone else is in subjection to me I believe what Paul is saying here is that because Adam was created first there's responsibilities of being first how many of you are firstborn siblings you know that there's responsibility in being first don't you your parents told you many times, well, you're the firstborn. You've got to take care of this. It's part of your responsibility. It's part of your job. It's unique to you because there's only one firstborn. There are plenty of not firstborns. I mean, I'm a not firstborn. I usually don't refer to myself as that, but that's what I am. And I don't have the same kind of responsibility that my eldest sister does and now I thank God for that because the blame's all on her right that's nice it makes it easy now here's the deal Paul is saying Adam was made first and by being first there's a responsibility involved and then Paul points to that Eve was deceived the woman was deceived, and thus sin was a result. Now, I don't believe Paul is saying if women weren't around, we would never have sinned. You get a bunch of dudes in a room together, guess what? We're going to sin. You know, it's, it's going to happen because it happens to all humanity. 
Women, men, doesn't matter. We're going to sin. The point that I think he's making is not that, oh, we should blame women. What he's making is that there's a situation. If you go back and read the story in Genesis, what you see is the serpent was able to separate the man and woman, and he was able to present a situation in which the woman could take all the authority of this decision upon herself. Take something that was not hers. Just imagine how much different the conversation would have been had Adam and Eve been together when Satan was trying to work his sly magic. If they would have worked together, I, I bet you, there, I'm not saying man would have refused. I'm saying it might have been different if the situation wasn't in a way of usurping and taking something that wasn't hers. So yes, usurping is a huge deal. All throughout Scripture, anytime you take authority that's not yours, which is usurping, it is a big deal. And Paul's saying that's the reason we have sin, is because we tried to take something that wasn't ours. We didn't freely receive the gifts that we'd already been given. We wanted more, and so we tried to take something. And so Paul's pointing to all of this saying, usurping is such a big deal. But usurping may not be always what you think. Here's a conundrum for you, and this one frustrates me because it's a conundrum. Let's say a man is seeking information that a woman has. All right? Whatever it may be. If the woman gives the information to this man, is she violating this passage by teaching the man? Or if she withholds teaching not to violate that passage, is she violating the part about usurping because she is withholding information that is sought and maybe even necessary for this man? In other words, how many cultures keep a thumb on the authority, their authority, keep a thumb on everyone else by withholding information. So the conundrum is, which, what does she do? Does she violate the first part of the passage or the second? Lord willing, she violates neither. Because I'm not sure that that's fully what this passage is talking about. See, what this passage is trying to point at is, is this, this understanding that authority is a huge deal. And teaching can be done under authority. Let me, let me just clarify that. Teaching better be done in the Lord's church under authority. It doesn't matter who gets up here or who teaches any class, whether it be the cradle roll or whether it be Sunday morning sermon, if you're not under the authority of the elders of the local church or under the, un, under the authority of God, you need to be removed because you're missing the point. You are trying to take something that is not yours. And that's how I understand what's going on here. Is Paul is telling all of us, he's telling these women in specific, hey, don't try to take something that's not yours. Then Paul sums it up. And, and the reason I, I believe that this is what this passage is saying is how he sums it up, verse 15. But women will be saved through childbearing, assuming that they continue to live in faith, love, holiness, and modesty. Now, that may be a passage that you might be going, say, what? Um, here's two quick options for what that, pa that passage might mean. I can go with either way. Both of them are great. Uh, the first one is this, that, what, that Paul can't be saying 
that the only way women can be saved is if they have kids. Because what happens to the women that can't or that don't choose not to? And also, wouldn't that go against the whole rest of Scripture that says salvation is found in Jesus, not in childbearing? So what's going on here? One option might be Paul has just talked about um, the fall, that woman's involvement with the fall. And so in the next verse, he turns around and says, but here's the deal. It's not all bad, women, because through you, the Savior is going to be born. The whole fact that you have within you the seed of Christ, that right there, that's a beautiful thing. Salvation is coming. Salvation has come through Christ. That's what, option one. I think it's a, a great option. Option two, though, I, I kind of lean a little bit more heavy upon. Paul is referencing here something that only women can do. We live in a culture now that really tries to blur the lines between men and women, don't they? Women, uh, there are a, a culture that's saying a woman can do everything a man can do, and now we're even, you know, men are saying, oh, yeah, we can do everything a woman can do. Blur that line. It's a choice. My gender's a choice, right? Well, here's one thing that still our culture has not figured out. It is still the ladies that are giving birth. No dudes are doing that. Now I'm fine with that. And here's the thing. Paul references something that is unique to women and women alone. And I believe he is pointing back to this authority idea. He's saying, if you want salvation, don't seek it by being a man, by trying to go some masculine route. You have been given something within you that is absolutely beautiful, wonderful, and godly. Don't throw that away just because some guy over here. Be who God has called you to be. That's why he qualifies it with continuing to live in faith, love, holiness, and modesty. Remember, modesty was something he talked about in the previous verses. And holiness he talked about as well. And he talked about faith. He's tying all of this together of saying this is how we should live. This is what it looks like. There is no doubt that God created men and women differently. And that's okay. That is completely fine. We don't need to seek salvation through the other of trying to be like someone else. God created us different, but here's the catch. God can use all of us. It may not be always in the same way, and that's okay. It may not look exactly the same, and that's fine because the thing is we don't need everyone to look the same in the body of Christ we need everyone men women old young tall short doesn't matter we need everyone with your unique gifts your unique personality to come and give it to the give it at the feet of the cross so that you can serve in his kingdom so this morning I'm, I'm just going to make this invitation quite simple if you want to be a part of a kingdom that truly includes everybody as they are, you don't have to be a cookie cutter model to fit in this kingdom. You come with your brokenness, you come with your baggage, and it will be redeemed. Through the waters of baptism, you can turn your life around and be a part of a kingdom that truly there is no male nor female, Jew or Gentile, slave, or free, because we are all one in the body of Christ.
So this morning, if you want to be a part of that kind of kingdom, if you want to feel welcome and get involved in that kind of work because there's a job to do, then I want to invite you to let it be known. If you have prayers, if you have a work, if you have something that you want to bring up, even to one of the elders um, or, or the ministers, this is a great time. Would you come find one of us as we stand and as we sing together?